So over the next two Sundays, we're going to look at the why we are chosen. I chose you by God, and most importantly, the candidates God seeks via the first nine verses in the Sermon of the Mount. So this week, we're going to follow on from Michael's sermon last week on repentance and mercy and look at John 15, verse 16, and answer via this the following questions. One, the why and the understanding of being chosen. Two, the fact that you are now Christ's fruit and his fruit bearer. And then three, the right relationship now set and this word of righteousness with God. So let's set this scene scripturally on why we are chosen and this very, very scary text of Scripture for the non-believer. So if you've got your Bibles open, go to John 15, verse 16, and read with me. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in the name of the Father will give you. Listen to those words. I chose you and appointed you. Let's go to another verse just to emphasize this concept of being chosen so we can see it elsewhere in the, in the actual book. We're going to go to Ephesians 1, 4 to 5, a verse you'll all know very well. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasures of his will. So, I think we've established that we are chosen. It's scripturally clear. But there's a, there must be something obvious, a qualification that we all have here to be chosen. Is there something that we've done? Why did God choose us? What goodness or special merit do you and I have that He'd choose us? Be prepared, as these words are hard to hear. We have no value that would shine forth. We repulsed, rejected, and disgusted God in our sinful state in which he chose us in. And lastly, we had no God-side CV that attracted him. It was because of the fact we had no merit and no goodness. You and I are sinners, and we both, both crossed God's line and fall short of his glory Romans 3, 23, for we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I don't know about you, but this interview is not going as planned, as God isn't even, not even looking at my CV, and instead he's calling me a sinner, and I have no good merit or goodness in me. 
I did not get this job by my merits. So why is he interested in me? Why is he interested in Kevin or Mick at the back? Well, it's due to love. Let's remind ourselves why he chose Israel in the Old Testament. To them, he said, the Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations. You were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. Deuteronomy 7, 7 to 8. The Lord loves you. Let that sink in for a moment. So the Lord loves me for having nothing but sin. Are you confused yet? And you should be. This you should revisit in your mind often. Why did God love a wrench like me? And then immediately give thanks. Our Creator made us, saw us before the foundation of this physical world that we live in. The love we're talking about is eternal. It's not temporal. It's not in just this small earthly life. This God love is beyond human time and it's not restricted by this world. And that is why the ultimate statement of love was given. For Scripture is clear in pointing out that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 Romans 5.6-8 tells us for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yes, perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love is a reason for everlasting life. God and man united. Christian union. This verse we started off with regarding the concept of being chosen. In the text of John at that particular time in chapter 15, Christ was speaking with the apostles. He knew what was about to happen. The cup he was about to drink. Love is why we had the repentance and mercy words of understanding in last week's sermon. David committing adultery and murder. Yet, wait for it, he was chosen. We are chosen for a bigger reason. And when we go through the second point, I want you to keep David in mind. Let's go back to the text. You did, not chose, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So to the second point, the chosen as the fruit bearers. Remember Christ spoke these words in John 15, 16, and then lay on the cross and due to that action, that once and all sacrifice, he purchased all of us in this room with his blood. 
We are as Christians, followers of Christ, his fruit. Only fruits that will endure to eternal life is fruit that grows from the actual cross itself. Listen to John 12, 23 to 24, and how the grain must die before it gives fruit, fruit only from the cross. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. We are Christ's fruit because he died for us. We are his fruit bearers if we're willing to take up the cross and die with him. Hopefully, the picture of baptism is going on in your heads or Romans 6 is coming to mind. Fruit not because it comes from us, but we were born again to be able to produce fruit. Your old sinful self could not produce fruit, especially the fruit God wanted. The only fruit your old self could do was the wages of sin, which equaled death. Hence being chosen to produce fruit for the kingdom, to serve for the kingdom. Baptism, we acknowledge the service of a king and his kingdom. The Lord's Supper that we had here last week, we see love and sacrifice needed to produce the fruit, his kingdom fruit. The commandment of love your neighbor. What is this act? but only the Christian love and nourishment of others received from that fruit of conversion. Listen to John 12, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Because he loved us, now we have the power to produce Christ-ripened fruit. Note this. As a church, it is our greatest strength, the fruit we produce. That kind and gentle gift we leave with others. Stephen up here so often in a sermon spoke of our loving example to others outside the church. Us caring more. Us wanting to know how that person's doing. That simple thing of people coming to us because why? We pray. Because we have a belief and knowledge of the highest, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The most winning and powerful witness we can give is the reality of love. Christ's love. So let's get to the point. How do we produce fruit? Oh, we read this a little bit earlier in chapter 15. I am the fruit vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it can remain and even give more fruit you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me 
as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Before these verses in chapter 14, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. Then as you come into chapter 15, you can hear, I am the vine, and then it's the Father, it's the gardener. This whole fruit production of you and I is a Trinitarian task. A very focused with a determined ending in verse 5. You bear fruit with us, but without us, it is nothing. The exact words, apart from me, you can do nothing. The vine metaphor before grasping the chosen or election understanding really shows how serious this is. <clears throat> Think of your week that's just passed. I know for me, with traveling and only coming back yesterday, my vine branch, which is joined to Christ, had many pulls and pushes as we navigate this circular world. But at your weakest and greatest in life, you may stand righteous before the Father because of Christ. But remember, he is there to prune you unless you're producing fruit. Expect those trials, those testing times, your time of pruning. The Father doesn't want the odd piece of fruit. As the text says, so that it will be given more fruitful. The Father wants your creative and designed potential. I'd like to encourage you all with this union language in this text. So often today, especially listening to the news and just in our society, words are all about division. Where in this text, the words and verses are about building and growing a seed that grows into something beyond the flower. As remember, a tree flowers first, then it produces the fruit. Firstly, the vine, Christ, we are linked. Then we're pruned by the specialist gardener, the Father, to get maximum return from that person. Verse 4, remain in me so I remain in you. A clear warning that we cannot produce fruit on our own. Oh, how this world only sees the self, the I. Yet the glory of the fruit revealed is union of us all, the church and Christ the Holy Spirit, and the Father. So the fruitfulness of obedient love, coming on Sundays to worship, serving your church, loving our neighbor, and the fruitfulness of winning people to Christ, they're not different tasks. They are one in union, one in love, one kingdom mission. The one fruit is the kingdom of God and not seeing the Father's glory. So to the why. We bear fruit for the glory of God. John 15, 8. In this way, my Father glorified that you bear much fruit so that 
uh, and so you prove to be my disciples. If you're a pastor, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, or any member of this body, your end goal is to glorify God. It is by His righteousness we are going to develop, develop in and act on behalf of His glory. Christ wills us to display the glory of the kingdom of the Father and that way we may magnify it. So we've come complete circle. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. The honor, the privilege, the love of Christ your Savior is at stake in whether you, whom he chose, bears fruit. Now the next point, point three. Let's look at righteousness of the chosen. Living right with God. How do I live righteously in this jungle of distraction? Now bear in mind, you are, you are chosen. Now listen to these three verses from the Sermon of the Mount, starting in chapter 5, verse 6 of Matthew. Blessed are those that are hungry and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. There is so much in these three verses. I'm going to close out the sermon with living right with God, namely righteousness. And then next week we're going to go into the blessed ones, these chosen of God, and why he looks for these characteristics. I've been so guilty over the years reading these verses of the Sermon on the Mount, particularly verse 6. I'm reading it fast. I'm missing its foundational meaning. These verses sound great, but let's be honest, they're hard to grasp. Note the words, you'll be hungry and thirsty for righteousness, but you will be filled. So in other words, you lack something. Something which is life-giving. For example, water and bread. You'll definitely feel this loss. The loss of life itself. Think about it through the lens of, you did, I, you did not choose me, but I chose you. If you and I in this world have no water, we are thirsty. No food, we are hungry. And this is then an awful life. If you see this from a spiritual understanding, you had to be chosen to drink from the well, the well of life. You are starving. You're, you're dying of a lack of food. Only death awaits you. As sinners before Christ, only the wages of sin is death. And as our primitive end goal without Christ... We are hungry before we came to Christ. We were lacking, lacking the basics of bread, scriptural revelation, the very word itself. Also, hunger is painful. It's hard to stand up. You can't see clearly. It is the very essence of lacking, this constant awareness of pain. It's real. It's there. So what do we lack? righteousness. This is a very distinct and sometimes missed in its understanding. 
Let's break this down. And at this point, I would like to give a bit of recognition to Tim and John from the Bible Project for this understanding. The Greek word for righteousness is uh, diksune, and it comes from the root, the Hebrew root, sadakai. So sadakai means, at its root, to be in right relationship with someone, or a character in right relationship with someone. Doing right with people. Now you know, it's, it varies depending on who you're talking to. So if it's my dad, I will do right and behave in a certain way. If it's my boss, I will behave in another way. And if it's my daughter, I will definitely behave in another way. Righteousness is best defined on how do I relate to others. Here's what is not righteousness. Me being holy, having a set cold code of practice, but not caring for others. Let's look at righteous biblically. Jeremiah 22.3 This is what Yahweh says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. Notice the Lord rescues the oppressor who has been robbed or is lacking of something. Not, no wrongdoing to the immigrant or fatherless. I want when you're dealing with others righteously to think of this word mutuality. We look upon our neighbor with mutual respect as we would like to be treated. It's not a tension that we have in this world where I'm looking at someone else and I'm seeing, are they better or worse than me? If you're doing this, you are seeing as, as, as if that person is lacking. And when you're doing that, that is when I'm out of a right way of relating to them. I do not have righteousness. Like the humber, hunger example previously in the Sermon of the Mount. We, no, we need always to see the image bearer in people. The image of Yahweh in them. Let's go to Psalm 11:7. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. If the Lord is righteous, the righteous will see his face. In other words, in righteousness, you see the image of God in each person. You're focused on the spiritual world. So when you do right by another, behaving as a Christian, in Christian values, you then have fullness in life. That feeling of utter fullness, where there's no need for reward. You get what is to be chosen or elected. Now we're chosen so that we behave righteously the way the Creator designed you or I. Obedience in Christ. Discipline's not easy. But surround yourself with Scripture and other Christians. Most importantly, pray for grace where you're weak. Ask the Lord to help you in your Christian journey. That has been affected by the secular world. Get into that Christian zone, that right way of interacting with others. 
Let's go to scripture again, Hebrews 12, 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Listen to that. It will produce a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Being trained, or, as it's so often in the, in the, in the Scriptures, living in Christ. I'm going to read from John Owen as he paints a beautiful picture regarding the righteousness and our affections, namely love, joy, delight, kindness, gentleness, all defined as sails on a ship in commenting on Hebrews 12, 11. Listen carefully, embrace this understanding from this amazing theologian. We must fill our sails toward God at once and exercise all our, our affections. I've heard <clears throat> that a full wind behind a ship does not drive it forward so fast. As a side wind, which seems almost so much against her than versus with her. The reason they say is a full wind fills only some of the sails, which will keep it from the rest, which are empty. But a side wind fills her sails and sets her speedily forward. Whichever way we go forward in this world, our affections are are our sails, and they're spread and filled so we passed on swifter or slower or whenever we are steering. Now, if the Lord should give us a full wind, a continual gale of mercies, it would only fill some of our sails, some of our affections, joy, delight, and the like. But when the Lord gives us a side wind, something that feels like it's against us versus first. Then it fills all our sails and takes up all our affections, making his work wide and broad enough to encourage everyone. Oh, may we pray for those side winds to fill our sails. So similar to the father pruning of our fruits so that we can produce more. Back to the opening scripture. Did you not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in the name of the Father, it will be given to you. In closing, we're going to look at this end of this verse. After all the magnificent grace, the love, living right with God, we get to ask, so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. Now these words are under a set condition. It's about the kingdom. It's not requests from earth. It's about producing fruit. It's about saving and praying for souls to be chosen from our humble and earthly position. Don't give up on others without faith. Pray like there's no tomorrow because that might be the case. Love as a divine concept, namely God, does not give up on people. Let's be honest. If God was the giving up sort, 
the earth would have had a much shorter history. Think about it for a moment. One of the most painful things in life for a true Christian is seeing family members without a relationship with Christ. The right way of living with Christ. Not chosen yet. Have you ever noticed that when you're going on talking about the benefits of Christianity to a non-believer, the difference, the impact it's made in your life, that some of these people just switch off and lose interest. Well, don't worry about that. That's actually biblical. Because in the book of Mark it says, a prophet is never heard or welcomed in his own town or family. Pastor Lee Strobel did a lovely series called Living with Christ. Let's, let's say, for example, that Jesus is living here in Dundalk. Now, obviously, he's pastor of this church. Michael and I are benched, and he would be praying for those lost souls around this town. He would be focusing on those people in our family causing us pain, praying for their salvation. Therefore, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James 5.16 That righteous person is you in Christ. You should and must pray for others. On Wednesday night, we just pray. But the value of taking time as a church to just pray is so important. So let's take up the Lord on his offer, on this beautiful verse, on this love offering of praying for others to join the faith, the to be chosen. Pray for that family member, that soul that's on each one of your hearts. A prayer for a soul, a real, a real prayer about God's kingdom that happens and gets answered. As this sinner standing in front of you would not be a preacher, they dare say an elder, without the very prayer by these members of this church, and it was answered. You are chosen. I ask you all now, what is your fruit? And may we pray with thanksgiving for the great privilege in knowing God and for all loving, the all-loving God to pick a wrench like us. So the least we can do is pray for those we love and are still without God, the to-be-chosen. Amen. Let's go to prayer. Heavenly Father, this is such a serious issue. I think that burns our hearts so deeply. Those members of family or friends that do not know you. Oh Lord, may the truth of this verse ring in their ears. The fact that you choose them. And that's how the movement, the joy, and the transformation happens. Oh Lord, we're 
a body of believers here today. And we thank you. We get down on our knees just to bow our heads just to say thank you for the fact that you have chosen us. May we take this week ahead to see what is the fruit we are delivering, as this verse says. And search our souls for that understanding. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Please be upstanding for the next song, which is Blessed Assurance.